All right, good morning, everyone. It's time to begin. We're a couple minutes late, so let's uh, open with a word of prayer, shall we? Father, we thank you uh, for this day, the first day of the week, where we can come together as a church to uh, fellowship with one another and just praise you and celebrate the gospel together. We pray that you would bless our time together as we study your word and what you have revealed concerning yourself to us, we pray in his name. Amen. Okay, well, we're continuing our lessons in theology. Uh, For the month of January, we're doing uh, exegetical theology, which we did last week. This week, we're focusing on biblical theology. And then, Lord willing, we will go over systematic theology, historical theology, and practical theology throughout the month of January. And then Larry Reed will take over for the month of February. So this week we're we're focusing on the subject of biblical theology. And before I begin, I think it's good to review what we did last week because all of these disciplines are related, okay? So... Okay, remember, the, the purpose of studying theology is because God has revealed his character to us in his word, the Bible. And since he created us in his image and he restores us uh, in Christ, God's character shows us the character that we are to seek. We are to seek to be more like Christ in, in our holiness and our view of justice and our love and, and grace for others. So, of course, as Christians, we all want to know more about God's character. We want to study theology. And last week we went over exegetical theology, which is we want to get our theology, what we know of God, from what he has revealed to us in the scriptures, okay? And one of the key verses we looked at was 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 15 to 17, which it tells us a lot about God's word. It says, From childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So we learn from here that Scripture is God's word. God has spoken to us uh, through his word, the Bible. We see that it's clear in the sense that even a child can understand the scriptures. Those are some other uh, verses in the scriptures that teach us that the Bible is God's word. It's clear. Jesus... uh, held people accountable for not knowing the word of God. And when he says, you are wrong because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. So Jesus expected people to know the scriptures in a way that held them accountable. So scripture is clear. Of course, it's not all equally clear. There are sections of scripture which are hard to understand. Even Peter acknowledges that in his letter. Uh, Scripture is sufficient in teaching and correcting us and for training us in in righteousness. So what God has given us in his word, we don't need to wait for uh, some religious group to come around and tell us what to believe or a certain 
religious person or mystical spiritual person to tell us what we need to know. God's word is sufficient for all of these things here mentioned in the text. And of course, all scripture points to Jesus and it's meant to bring us to faith in Christ. So God's, the Bible is God's word. It is clear, it can be understood. It's meant to bring us to faith in Christ and it's efficient. So Christians, we often say that the Bible is our only infallible rule for faith and practice. The Bible is our final authority in matters of faith, the things that we believe, and it's our final authority in our practice, what we do. So the Bible trumps uh, church traditions, confessions of faith, opinions, cultural norms, even our personal desires. And Christians, we should allow nothing that opposes God's word uh, to control our beliefs or practices. So what we believe about God should come from his word. What we believe about God's character should also come from his word. And what we believe about our practice, the things that we are to do or things we are forbidden to do, should all be, come from God's word. So in other words, the Bible should determine our theology or we should practice exegetical theology, meaning we go to the text of scripture and allow scripture to teach us about God rather than add outside ideas to God's word. So that's just the summary of what we went over last week with exegetical theology. So this week we're going to focus on biblical theology. And there's uh, just where I got a lot of uh, today's lesson from, the Gospel Coalition website, an essay written by T.D. Alexander. Uh, And this is an outline of uh, the class this morning. What is biblical theology? Why is it neglected? Why practice biblical theology? And how do we practice biblical theology? And then here are some some other resources if you want to study further. These are some good books. What is Biblical Theology by James Hamilton and Von Roberts, God's Big Picture. There's also a really good podcast. I'm sure uh, many of you already follow that podcast by Nine Marks. It's called Bible Talk, and Jim Hamilton and Sam Amati are on that podcast. That's a, that's a great resource. There's also some biblical theology study Bibles out there. D.A. Carson has one, and the Gospel Transformation Bible is a great study Bible as well. I, I have that one. I don't have the one by Carson. Okay, so we are going to focus today on... What is biblical theology? All right, and and to to answer that, I think it's good to explain, first of all, what it's not. So biblical theology is not another way of saying our theology comes from the Bible. Some people use the term biblical theology, and by that what they mean is, well, my theology comes from the Bible. And, And sometimes people will look at what we call systematic theology, in systematic theology, basically, it used, it, the purpose of systematic theology is to look at what all of the scripture says about a certain topic and then explain that in a way that's easy to, to understand. So some people would say, well, systematic theology, are, those are just textbooks written by men. It's just their opinions. And I don't use systematic theology. I use biblical theology. So some people use the term biblical theology And by it, what they mean is something similar to what we mean when we say exegetical theology. 
And it's just, it's important to know that just when you're reading things or you're discussing uh, things with other Christians, just to be aware that some people use the same terms and define them differently. So when we use the term biblical theology in this class, uh, generally in our church, the eldership, when they use that term, or generally in Reformed Baptist circles, or if you're uh, looking at anything from Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, the word biblical theology carries this meaning. It basically it views the Bible as a unified, coherent story. So biblical theology sees the Bible as a unified whole, telling a unified story. It seeks to understand certain parts of the Bible in light of the whole storyline of the Bible. So it understands that in the Bible, God is progressively revealing more about himself to us. And biblical theology uh, pays attention to repetition. It pays attention to when biblical authors repeat themselves. It pays attention to when other biblical authors uh, repeat previous themes in order to emphasize certain truths. It pays attention on how later biblical authors interpret and explain previous scriptures. Okay, so it looks to just to see how these repeated themes that we see in the Bible emphasize certain things that God is trying to communicate to us. Uh, biblical theology wants to see where all of the scripture points to Christ. It basically, it's allowing the Bible to interpret, interpret the Bible and... It, one of the fundamental assumptions of biblical theology is it assumes that the Bible is God's word. Okay, so just some, some other definitions that may be helpful. Jim Hamilton uh, says that biblical theology is the interpretive perspective reflected in the way that the biblical authors have presented their understanding of earlier scripture. Uh, there's another definition here. It says biblical theology enriches our understanding of the Bible by exploring how the different biblical books contribute to the overall theological message and how it turns this overall message, or sorry, and how in turn this overall message influences our appreciation of each book. Okay, so this is just a, another summary of biblical theology. Uh, uh, the discipline of biblical theology, it affirms the theological unity of both Old and New Testaments while recognizing the diversity of the biblical books. Biblical theology attempts to explain how the Bible conveys a unified theological message. Advocates of biblical theology focus on the coherence of the biblical story of redemption his or redemptive history Biblical theology explores the relationship between Old and New Testaments by drawing on such concepts as promise fulfillment and topology. Okay, so why was, so hopefully we understand uh, what biblical theology is. So now we want to answer the question, why was it neglected in, in the recent past? A lot of churches in the recent past uh, underemphasized biblical theology. It wasn't uh, prominent in the church recently. So I just want to explain briefly why, why that happened. Well, of course, uh, liberal scholarship began to deny the inerrancy of Scripture. They began to view the Bible as uh, basically uh, a compiling of just these ancient religious texts 
that had no unified theme. Obviously, they assumed that God you know, didn't inspire the authors to write, so they think it was basically just a collection of all these different writings. So they would say, for example, what we would acknowledge as the first five books of the Bible written by Moses, they would say it, was written, it wasn't written by one person named Moses, it was written by a number of people on totally different pages, totally different theologies, and it just kind of got compiled together into this mess. And basically, their studying of the scriptures, they were trying to figure out how the ancient Israelite religion evolved over time. So that's something that we, we of course, reject, but that was uh, what's known as liberal scholarship that influenced many of uh, the seminaries a few hundred years ago. So what happened when a lot of uh, preachers heard this sort of thing, even if they uh, didn't believe the Bible was God's word or they did, they were influenced by this teaching. So when they were, would preach to their congregation, they wouldn't view the Bible as an overall story. So they wouldn't ask, you know, how does this story of Noah's Ark, how does it fit with Genesis chapter 1? So they began to preach the Bible in isolated little sections and just focused on maybe some moral lessons, and they neglected seeing the Bible as a unified whole. So if you were a good Christian in a church and you believed the scriptures were God's word, if your pastor, for example, was preaching from a perspective of unbelief and he didn't view the Bible as God's word, even though you disagreed with him, you would be influenced by his preaching and you would learn how to preach and teach the Bible from your pastor. So even when a lot of good, solid, conservative Christians left these liberal churches, biblical theology was, it was neglected because they didn't learn to interpret the scriptures as a unified whole. So hopefully that helps explain how it was, uh, as a discipline, biblical theology was neglected in the recent past. Okay, so why do we practice biblical theology? Why should we practice biblical theology? Okay, well, we ought to, as Christians, we ought to hold the same view of Scripture that Jesus did, of course. And we ought to handle the Scripture uh, the same way that Jesus and the other biblical writers, writers handled it. So when you think of these liberal scholars that deny the inerrancy of God's word and, and reject that Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible, you have to be aware that Jesus did not have that perspective. And I am going to take Jesus' word over the word of some modern liberal scholar who's influenced by uh, postmodern uh, presuppositions because Jesus rose from the dead. He proved that he is the eternal son of God. So we ought to hold the same view of scripture that Jesus did, of course. And Jesus and the apostles, they viewed Scripture as being a unified whole and acknowledged that all of Scripture points to Christ. They did not view the Old Testament Scriptures as a collection of just these random, incoherent theologies mixed together. Jesus said, for if you believe Moses, you would believe me. He was speaking to people who claimed to believe the words that Moses wrote, and they did not believe that Jesus was who he said he was. So he says to them, if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Jesus speaking to some of his uh, disciples after he rose from the dead, 
In Luke 24, 27, it says, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4, he says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and that he raised He was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. So according to Paul, Paul's perspective, he viewed the events of the cross, the death of the Lord Jesus, the resurrection as a fulfillment of scriptures. He saw the scriptures as all pointing to the Lord Jesus. And another reason we we ought to practice biblical theology is because the Bible was given to us as an overarching story, okay? It was given to us in a way that we are to read it that way. We're to practice it because the Bible requires us to practice biblical theology in order to better understand it because that's the way it was written. Remember last week when we learned about exegesis, we want to know what the original author intended to communicate? Well, that would include understanding the, the text of Scripture, the way the original author intended it to present it, and they present it as an overarching storyline. So, for example, uh, when you think of systematic theology, how, for example, if you're studying the doctrine of angels, you want to look at all the Scriptures that talk about angels, that's systematic theology. And the reason we do that is because that's how the Bible was given to us. The Bible wasn't uh, given to us like an encyclopedia where we can go and look, okay, a, a, our angels, there it is, and then a full-blown explanation. God uh, systematically reveals certain truths about himself and about you know, other things he wants to teach us, like angels or baptism, for, ex- for example, systematically throughout the entire scriptures. So we read and interpret our theology systematically because that's how the Bible was given to us. We don't just read one verse about angels and say, well, this angel appeared in human form, so angels always appear in human form all the time. No, we would read all the Bible has to say about angels systematically, and we'll see that sometimes they appear in human form, sometimes they're unseen, sometimes they're in the heavenly realm. So we read the Bible systematically because the Bible was given to us that way. In the same way we read the Bible practicing biblical theology because the Bible was given to us telling an overarching storyline with many themes that are that are related okay so we practice biblical theology because we seek to understand how parts of the Bible fit into the whole because that's how the Bible was given to us okay and and just review Jesus and the apostles did not view the Old Testament as being just a mix of different contradictory theologies They viewed it as a unified whole, which all points to Christ. So that's why we practice biblical theology. All right, so why, or sorry, how do we practice biblical theology? Well, of course, we approach the Bible for what it is. God chose to reveal himself to us in the Bible using many different authors who wrote from different time periods. The Bible contains different genres and perspectives that tell this unified message of God's story of redemption. 
So when we're studying the Bible, we should ask ourselves, how does this text, how does this story, how does this historical narrative fit into the Bible storyline? How does this story point me to Christ? And what does this teach me about God and his plan for redemption? So that's how we practice biblical theology. We ask those questions. We want to know how the various parts of Scripture fit into the whole. Okay, so when we practice biblical theology, we'll see that the Bible is complementary rather than contradictory. Uh, we'll see that there's unity within the Bible's diversity. And we'll see that the Bible contains an overarching storyline. We'll see that the Bible contains many promises and fulfillment. And we'll also see that the Bible uh, contains what's called topology. So we'll begin with complementary. So when we practice biblical theology, we see that the Bible is complementary rather than contradictory. Okay? So when we understand that, uh, for example, when you read the, the opening chapters of Genesis, we see that chapter 1 presents a picture of God being transcendent. He is above creation. Uh, he's overseeing all of creation from a distance. And then when we get into chapter 2, it highlights the idea of what we call divine eminence, that God is coming down and relating to his creation. He's involved in his uh, creation. So God uh, is coming up close to Adam and Eve in the garden. So we get the idea of God being transcendent, above creation, viewing it from afar, and also imminent. He's down interacting with his creation. Okay, so uh, also in chapter 1, the name for God that's given in the original Hebrew is Elohim. It's usually translated God in our English Bibles. And in chapter 2, the, the name Yahweh is, is used, translated Lord in our English Bibles. And that's what we get in, in chapter 2. So when you place these two uh, chapters side by side, we see that they're complementary. They're showing us the complexity of God's character. Liberal theologians would read that and say, well, they're two contradictory, two totally different gods. One's transcendent and one's imminent. And, but when we, when we practice biblical theology, the way the Bible was given to us, we see that it's complementary. It's showing us that, yes, God is the all-powerful creator outside of creation, creating everything, but he's also involved in his creation. So taken together, they provide a single theology that's it's richer and it's more uh, sophisticated than either of the, the, uh, the accounts in isolation. So when we don't practice biblical theology, we fail to do justice to how the biblical texts describe the complexity of God's nature and actions. So obviously, when we think of God, you know, he's complex, he's... The, all-powerful, uh, all-wise, all-knowing, eternal. So obviously God is, is, is complex, and he can be transcendent and imminent at the same time. And in a similar way, we're complex, aren't we? We're created in God's image. We are like God. So we, too, are complex. Uh, just a, a personal example, I remember when, when my first son was born, Charlie. I mean, I was so happy to have a baby boy born. I was smiling, I was grinning, I was laughing as I was interacting with the nurses who were caring for him. But at the same time, 
Melissa was in a tremendous amount of uh, discomfort and distress. It was a very traumatic birth because it came out the wrong way, and she was in a lot of you know, suffering. So at the same time, here I am laughing and smiling, looking at the baby, but then when I would go look at Melissa in her direction, I'm sad, I'm crying. So that, that just shows you we're complex beings. So if someone were to write a story about my life and say, oh, John was such a happy you know, father who loved his son, they might recount that story of being in the, the delivery room when my first son was born and say he was happy and smiling. And someone else might want to show the other side of how I loved and cared for my wife and say, well, when he was in the delivery room, he was crying, he was sad, he was concerned. It's not a contradictory uh, event. It's not two different Johns that, you know, someone just made up. We're complex, and, and that story illustrates that the complexity of God, that God is transcendent and imminent, and we too uh, can be happy and sad at the same time. So when we fail to practice uh, biblical theology, what we can view certain things in Scripture to be contradictory when they're complementary. When we practice biblical theology, we also see that there's unity within the Bible's diversity. So one good way to to view all the different books of the Bible and the different genres that the the human authors wrote, you can think of it as kind of functioning like a human body. The hand is very different than the eye, but they're all important to the overall body. So uh, one contribute, the hand contributes to the sense of touch, uh, the eye uh, contributes to the sense of sight, and the body requires both hands and eyes to, to be complete. So in the same way, the theology of the Bible is it's enriched when we see all these different genres and different uh, angles of God, different perspectives. We can see the unity, just like that example of the the. Compla- the uh, transcendence and eminence of God at creation. Okay, so we can see a unity within the Bible's diversity. So when you, when you look at the book of Proverbs, uh, for example, it, it implies that righteous behavior will be rewarded by God. But in contrast to that, the book of Job reminds us that even the most righteous men can suffer terribly. So we can see the, the unity in the diversity of, of the Scriptures. So at first glance, it may seem to us that Job is contradicting Proverbs, but yet the different perspectives provided by both books, they balance one another. Okay, So despite claims by liberal scholars, when we correctly interpret the Bible the way it was given to us as a unified story, it actually provides an amazing theology. So when we practice biblical theology, we also see that the Bible contains an overarching story. So, of course, in recent years, uh, there's been an interest in biblical theology, and uh, it's increased uh, the recognition that uh, understanding biblical theology helps Christians understand uh, the Bible as a whole. And I know it's, it's somewhat new to me. When I was a younger Christian, I didn't really view the Bible as an overarching story. But now that I've started to practice and learn more about the study of biblical theology, it's enriched my understanding of, of 
the unity, the overarching story of the Bible. So, for example, when, you, when you're reading in the Gospels, when, when Jesus heals a leper, you have to ask, well, what came before that in the Old Testament? What, what does leprosy have? You know, it's not just a random, isolated event. It has significant meaning. Remember in the Old Testament? Well, when you start actually at the garden, remember God was in fellowship with man, and then man sinned, and they were exiled from God's presence. But then you see God uh, restoring fellowship with man in the nation of Israel in the temple, and his presence is there. But a leper was driven out. It's, it's a picture of sin, isn't it? Being driven out of God's presence. So when you read about Jesus healing a leper, it's not just a random fact that, oh, he can do miracles. It's, oh, I am an outcast. I am outside God's presence because of my sin. And he can touch me and make me whole. So we see how uh, viewing the Bible as an overarching story just enriches our understanding of the gospel and just what seemed to be random you know, unrelated facts are, are beautiful truths that communicate the gospel to us in different ways. All right, so biblical theology, of course, it adopts this narrative approach, and it seeks to describe all the contours in, in biblical revelation, and, un, and, and it uncovers the story of how God has interacted with people in the past and how he will act in the future. Uh, the narrative approach uh, explains... Uh, the diversity within the Bible, and it also it just provides a better understanding of redemptive history. It emphasizes, of course, the importance of viewing the Bible as a story, because God is a storyteller, and we being created in the image of God, we're storytellers too, don't we? We love to tell stories, we love to hear stories, and stories shape our understanding of the world around us. Uh, truth comes through stories. And stories are much more than simply cold facts. They impact our emotions. They cause us to use our imaginations. And they can influence our behavior. So it's not surprising that much of the Bible comes to us in the form of stories. Jesus taught through story. And the Bible in its entirety is telling the story about humanity's relationship with God. And... Uh, this overarching storyline of the Bible, it helps establish a Christian worldview, and it addresses fundamental questions of where we are, who we are, where we are going, and what the solution is. Okay, so when we practice biblical theology, we also see that the Bible contains many promises and fulfillment. So every story, of course, has a beginning. The opening chapters of uh, Genesis set the scene. They describe how the divine-human relationship was established at creation, and it shows us how this relationship became fractured. So Adam and Eve's uh, sin in the garden had life-changing consequences for the entire world. Uh, they failed to exercise uh, authority over this lying serpent, uh, the serpent who stood in opposition to God, and they actually heeded the creature rather than the Creator. They were to rule over all the beasts, and they allowed this serpent to tempt them to, to disobey God. And of course, when they disobeyed God, they were punished. Uh, but then God promised that this serpent, who uh, is identified elsewhere in the Bible as, as Satan, will be defeated by the offspring of the woman. Okay, so we see that 
that promise starts the storyline and it chases, traces a, a, a lineage, a descendants, of course. Right after the promises in Genesis chapter 3, uh, Eve gives birth to a son, Seth. So uh, the Bible traces this, uh, this lineage to, to Abraham and then later to David. And so when we're reading about all these kings and their descendants and we think it's just isolated facts, no, it's, it's a telling us, reminding us that God is going to redeem the world through a king. Okay, so we have to ask when we're reading about all these kings and their and their offspring and their descendants, ask what well what comes before this? What is this how does this fit into the storyline of the Bible? How does it relate to the promise in Genesis chapter three fifteen? So uh there's many promises and fulfillment when we read the Bible uh through the lenses of biblical theology. And we'll see that uh of course all these promises ultimately find their fulfillment in the Lord Jesus, the son of David. So when the Bible is approached this way, we can see how the Old and New Testaments are telling one theology. And when we practice biblical theology, we see that the Bible contains uh, typology or typology. All right? So from another perspective, the overarching storyline of the Bible has this typological dimension. So when we think of... Uh, the biblical history begins with creation, the fall, the expulsion from Eden, but then we see a new beginning with the call of Abraham, and God establishes a covenant with him, which uh, lays a foundation for later the Israelites will have an exodus out of Egyptian slavery, and there will be another covenant that God has through Moses at Mount Sinai, and this, in turn, underpins the responsibility of Israel towards God as he brings them into the promised land. He gives them possession of it. And he raises up a king and establishes Jerusalem and its temple as the focal point of God's presence among his people. So we see that the nation, uh, the temple, it's a type of the eternal state, the new heavens and the new earth. It's similar to the Garden of Eden where God met with his people. So we see the topology in the Bible. It's not just some random story that, well, God once interacted with men in a garden and then he interacted with people, met with people in a temple in Jerusalem. We see how they're all connected and where they point forward to the new heavens and the new earth. So... Uh, the prophets, of course, they uh, expect a second exodus. Remember, the people of Israel, because of their sin and rebellion, they, they're taken into Babylonian captivity. And the prophets writing in this time talk about a second exodus. And, of course, the people of Israel, after 70 years of captivity, came back to the land. But that wasn't the ultimate fulfillment of what these prophets were prophesying about. All of their promises can only be fulfilled at the second coming of Jesus when he returns to establish the eternal state. So we see all these different types throughout Scripture. Uh, the book of Hebrews uh, uses this uh, typological approach. In, in Hebrews chapter 8, it's comparing uh, the old and new covenants that uh, Jesus inaugurates. And it says that, among other things, that Jesus is, is a better high priest compared to the Levitical high priest, Jesus has entered the heavenly temple of which the earthly tabernacle is only a copy, a shadow. So 
the writer of the book of Hebrews is interpreting the Old Testament typologically. He sees the, you know, the priesthood and, and, and the temple and all of that to be pointing. It's a type of Christ. And we can appreciate that when we're reading our Old Testament, when we're reading about the temple and the priests. All right, so just a, a conclusion here. Uh, biblical theology helps us to see the Bible as a big picture. Uh, it helps us to appreciate the themes that hold the Bible together. And uh, it's about understanding how each part of the Bible contributes in a distinctive way to the overarching story of the Bible, which, of course, it all points to Christ. Okay, so remember, uh, just uh, for review, last week we went over exegetical theology. So that means our theology comes from the Bible. Uh, we don't take our outside ideas, whatever our culture is telling us, our opinions, and force it on the Bible. When we practice exegetical theology, what we learn from God and what he requires of us comes from the text of Scripture. Okay, and this week we learned about biblical theology, and it's consistent in that with exegetical theology in that it comes from the Bible. The Bible was written in a way that should be understood uh, as an overarching storyline. That's how the New Testament writers understood the Old Testament. That's how the prophets interpreted uh, previous writings. So the Bible itself uh, basically teaches us to read the Bible practicing biblical theology. It sees the Bible as an overarching storyline that contains many themes and types, recognizes the Bible as a unified whole, and it's all pointing to Christ. And also, biblical theology is very practical. It, 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 it helps us explain the gospel better, especially when people, maybe they might have a background in the Bible, and they ask you questions about Noah's Ark, for example. You know, do you believe there was a worldwide flood? Well, when we understand the overall story of the Bible, we, that can be an opportunity to share the gospel rather than to start to argue about fossils and, you know, in geology. We can say, you know, there was a lot of evil in the world, a lot of sin. And then talk to, you know, whoever you're talking to about, about, you know, evil that they're offended by. And say, but God is determined to destroy evil. He's just. You want a world without evil, don't you? And that's what the flood did. And if we're honest, we've all sinned. I've all sinned, and I deserve to be destroyed. But God is gracious, and he provided salvation for eight people in the ark. And then after God caused the flood waters to recede, there was a, a new creation. And that points forward to the eternal state. So just a question about Noah's Ark can turn into a gospel conversation. So biblical theology is very practical in explaining the gospel. It's great in explaining the gospel to our, our children and grandchildren. And I love when I go to nursing homes because a lot of people... Uh, you know, that were raised in the church will come to our Bible studies, and they've heard all these stories, but they never related it to the gospel and how I can just go over those stories and just uh, present the gospel to them, and it's such a blessing. And so, very practical. It answers a lot of questions about the Bible, about reality. Uh, and when we understand the Bible as a, as a big story that begins with creation, then the fall and redemption— when you're talking to, to unsaved people that mention anything about sin or evil or suffering, that's an opportunity to share the gospel and relate it to the overall story of the Bible. Even an atheist, if they start complaining about uh, 
injustice or wrongdoing. You could say, How do, where do you get an idea that you know, something is wrong or something is evil and we ought not to do it? It's an opportunity to, to share the gospel and to, to say, because you're created in the image of God, you have a sense of justice. The world was not like this when it was created, but God promised to send a redeemer. And you know, you're looking for solutions and heroes all over the place. And the, and the only hero is the Lord Jesus Christ. Right from the very beginning, in Genesis chapter 3, it was promised that through the seed of the woman, and then God raised up this nation in history, the, the Israelites, and established a, a, a kingly line of David. And Jesus is that son of David, that promised seed that's going to defeat evil. Won't you turn from your sins and, and, and trust in him? So the practice of biblical theology is, is a great way to just uh, have a deeper, richer understanding of the scriptures as we read them and study them together. And it's a great opportunity to, to share the gospel and explain the Bible to unbelievers. Okay, so uh, next week, Lord willing, we will be going over uh, systematic theology. And uh, I'll just close us now with the word of prayer and we will be dismissed. Father, we thank you so much for your word and how you've revealed yourself to us. You sent your son to die for sinners like us. All of us have rebelled against you. We've all believed the lies of the devil, and we confess that. And thank you for being gracious and sending your son at the right time, who lived a perfect life for us, died for us, rose again, and we look forward to, we long for that second coming when he comes again. Help us to appreciate that more, to worship you more as we read the scriptures and grow in our love for you, and help us to, to use what we've learned in this class to better communicate the gospel to others. In his name we pray. Amen.